So stress, we have to break the stress somehow, right? And the fact is, is that although there are those who uh, love this time of year, the stress of the holidays uh, triggers sadness and uh, depression actually for many others. And this time of year is actually very difficult for some because there's always this expectation of feeling merry and feeling generous, right? The pressure to give is always there. And so what we find is that uh, in our culture, people now begin to compare their emotions to what they assume others, okay, track with me as I say this, are experiencing or what they're supposed to feel. And uh, especially when they don't feel that way, then they think that they're all alone. They judge themselves. We condemn ourselves. We feel like we're an outsider. Not to mention that there's a whole host of things that add to the stress and uh, the difficult emotions during the holiday conflict. And we looked at this a few weeks back and uh, we have to bring it up again. Finances, obviously. Uh, some feel that there's just not enough money or fear of not having enough to buy gifts. That, uh, uh, and and, and that, that fear leads to sadness. It actually leads to people carrying unnecessary guilt. Uh, financial uh, hardship is stressful. It's compounded, added to it by shame. I feel shameful for this. And when you can't afford to celebrate... Many people actually feel devastated in that. Uh, There's also a a, a loneliness that's attributed to this. 28.2% of Canadians who live alone uh, in our society today. Uh, And when others are with their families, it can actually be be very painful for people who find themselves isolated and alone. 33% of those in our culture are women over the age of 65 who live alone. And so when you add up health and age and mobility issues... These things all arise, especially during this time, and it makes people uh, finding it very difficult to enjoy the holiday time. There's also grief, and uh, again, the missing uh, a deceased loved one during this time. Uh, Seniors have more uh, reasons to grieve, but so do many others that we actually forget about. Uh, There's all types of loss. There's loss from miscarriages, right? Death to sickness. This makes it hard for many other people. There's all types of loss during this time. There's also estrangement issues. And, uh, you know, uh, when you're not speaking to a relative or family member at get-togethers, that can actually usher in feelings of sadness, feelings of of guilt, feelings of resentment, inner conflict about whether or not to communicate. If you're newly divorced or oldly divorced, that's another issue. The holidays remind you of happier times. Uh, that accentuate your grief. And it's especially difficult uh, for children of divorce of all ages, never mind just the wee ones, the big ones as well. The, the, you know, those who had had a balanced time at one point seeing two sets of parents, that stress gets multiplied for married people who have three or even four sets now of parents who they have to celebrate and visit with. And some, something that may fail to take into account as well and, and sometimes we don't even realize this, but SAD, S-A-D, Seasonal Affected Disorder. So when it's always overcast, when it's always cloudy, depending on where you are, many people experience the blues during gloomy weather due to decreased sunlight. And, and this actually has an effect on many people. And of course, again, there's stress. Um, 
For example, there's the stress of shopping and, and planning family dinners. And then there's just human nature. You know, those of us who find ourselves trying to please, you know, all your relatives. Some of you are those types of people. Deciding what to get, who to see, what to do. You know, all that can actually be stress upon us, can make us feel guilty, which can actually now lead into depression. And so the interesting fact, too, is that much of the planning, much of the shopping, much of the cooking is done by who? Women, right? Guys, you got to pick it up a little, all right? So the women actually, during these times, carry a greater burden in the preparation of family gatherings. Women are often at a greater risk for depression than men. They are twice as likely to experience depression during the holiday time. After heart disease, depression is the most debilitating illness for women, while it's number 10 on the list for men. And so the other thing is that in, in another um, a survey that I came across, some people rate Christmas as being more stressful than divorce or having your home broken into. That's crazy. That's a crazy Christmas. I think to put Christ back into Christmas is this, is that it isn't to remove us from the shopping and the traffic and the cooking. It's to open up ourselves to see Christ in all that we're doing. In everyday living, Christ is there in the good times, in the bad times, in the ups, in the downs, in the rear endings, in the front end runnings. Christ wants to be born. And saying all that, we want, as believers, we should be focusing on Jesus during the Christmas and actually doing it, focusing and actually doing it are actually two separate things. The doing it is the hard part for us. There are a lot of things during this time in the next few days that are going to be filling your minds. Many of them are stressful. You know, thank you very much. Uh, holiday travel, long lines at the store, whatever. They are. It all adds to the stress. So what's your biggest source of holiday stress? Think about it. Maybe some of you are sitting right next to it right at this time. Just saying. Just keep looking ahead. All right? So how do you handle... Your holiday stress. You know? Think through the Christmas story with me. We don't think about the stresses that Mary and Joseph experienced and, and how they responded. But I want you to think about this. If you uh, uh, realize that when we look at stress, stress at Christmas is nothing new. The events surrounding the first Christmas are filled with the most unimaginable stress, but we never see it. These angels, they start showing up, scaring the living daylights out of people. We can see that Mary accepted the situation very well, uh, although her life was changed and, and not always for the easier. She, she really adopted an attitude when the angel showed up. She adopted an attitude of praise during this whole thing. You know, listen to the song she sang shortly after the news is given. It's found in Luke chapter 1. She, it's the Magnificent. She praises God for the chain of events. She lifts up his name. Not because uh, everything was going according to her plans, because they weren't, but because everything was going according to his plans. And she recognized that. How different it is for us. You know, we complain when things don't work out how we want, even though God's hand has never left the situation at all. You know, it's a good thing that Mary learned to trust God because the birth of her first child was a very stressful occasion. It wasn't going to be simple at all. She's pregnant, out of wedlock. 
You know, Joseph, her, her husband-to-be, uh, was not, you know, wants to quietly break off that marriage. Can you imagine the stress that those two are now going through? Joseph then is, meets an angel, gets scared almost to death. He's told that Mary is carrying the Son of God. And now, buddy, it's up to you to take care of them. More stress, more burden added. Added Joseph, along with every other head of the household, is now told by law to return to the city of your birth for your census. He finds him on the road with a pregnant woman. Just saying, all right? 70 miles on a donkey, no restaurants, right? No restrooms, no comforts. I doubt very seriously that Mary was all pleasant all the way down. I have to be, right? Ladies, thank you. I just need some affirmation. They finally arrive in Bethlehem. Joseph discovers what? There's no vacancies. Now, how many of us have done that with our spouses and there's no vacancies? What happens? There's an argument on the donkey all the time, is there not? <laughs> Offer more money! I just want a toilet and a clean bed. That's what we do, right? So now he has to tell his pregnant wife, who's been traveling on a donkey, that they're going to sleep in a barn. How do you think that's going over? And all the guys are going, yeah, I, I get it. I get that even now. Picture Mary getting off her donkey, going into a stable fully pregnant, a cave full of animals to give birth. Picture her disappointment when you think about it, when she realized that she would have to put her son, the son of God, the king of the universe, in an animal feeding trough. You cannot tell me there is not stress at this first Christmas. And then a few days later, right? Uh, her husband and newborn baby have to run away to a distant country. Why? Well, they got this homicidal maniac who's jealous of her baby, killing everybody else. Can you see, is that not stressful? Can you see how surviving Christmas is nothing compared to Mary and Joseph's time? And yet, as far as we can see, when we look in the scripture, she never argued at all with God's plans. She didn't fight back. She hid all those events in her heart. That's not the same thing about grow, you know, growing bitter with them. But no matter what happened in her life, Mary accepted it as God's plan for her, which is interesting. And that's how she survived Christmas, because she knew that she was being led by a stronger and wiser hand. You know, and, and I, I actually kind of laugh. It's funny how we use the Christmas story, you know. It's a story that's filled with stress and chaos and confusion. And what do we do in our culture? We turn it into this nice little neat nativity scene with everything being so calm and pretty. And it wasn't. And today I want to talk to you about stress. Actually, what we're going to do today is talk about my stress this morning. I just don't know how much time you have. And thank you for all your condolences with the passing of my mom. I appreciate it. You know, can we live in a more stressful time in our world? You know, stress is this emotional... Well, that's actually... A, a, a Dictionary.com says this. Stress is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. So when we have a mental, emotional, even spiritual strain going on, we feel, and the best way we describe it is that we're being pulled in all directions. The U.S. Institute of Mental Health says approximately one out of 75 people experience panic disorder. 
And that's what happens when things get so overwhelming that you can't function in your everyday. You know, stress is a top health concern for high school students. Time magazine wrote that between 2010 and 2016, the number of adolescents who experienced at least one major depressive episode leapt by 60%. According to the American Psychological Association, 75% of adults reported experienced moderate to high levels of stress in the past month. Now, here's a true report, but it, it leads a whole lot of questions to me. Reports tell us that 80% of workers feel stress on the job, and nearly half say they need help learning how to manage stress. Well, job is stressful. <laughs> that's, that's just part of what we do, is it not? But, you know, before I go any further those, this morning, I actually want to give you some practical ways for you to deal with stress. And as I, Because I really don't want you to get stressed out as I talk this morning. You're tracking with me? So here are some practical ways that you can write down that you can deal with stress, especially this upcoming week. Number one, you need to stay connected with people. You know, sometimes our stress is caused by people. Obviously, I get to say that, but we need to stay connected with people. And there's four relationships we all need in our lives. We need your you need a relationship with a church. Now, maybe some of you are here this morning and you're not plugged into a church. The church is the foundation structure, and I believe this without a shadow of doubt, for your whole family. It's the foundation structure for your marriage, and I actually believe for your career. You and I need that kind of support. There are things that the church can offer that you can't get out there on your own. And maybe you're a church hopper, maybe you're a church shopper. Let me just say, it's time to land. It's time to find a home. Make it your home. I'm biased about us here at Seoul, but it's time to lean in and make a place a home and stop being a wandering vagrant when it comes to looking for a church community. Find a home. Stay connected to people. Secondly, oh, not secondly, within that, you also need a life group. Uh, again, we're big on life groups here. We have great life groups here. Our, our life groups now have wound down, but they'll kick up after January 13th. And personally, my life groups are phenomenal. I love my groups. I'm, I'm in one with a bunch of other couples, and I host one at, with a bunch of young adults at my place. And I have to say, I just love them. I love what I see. I love what I hear. I love that when we can come and we can laugh. I love when I hear the transparency. I love the accountability. I love the directness. And it's in those groups. You also need a relationship with a team. Don't do things on your own. Be a part of a team. And when I say part of a team, let's say you're part of a community club or something like that. That's great. But here at the church, we also have numerous teams. And being a part of a team is, is that you're connected with a bunch of people who are on a mission where we're moving towards a certain goal. Teams like people who are greeting you when the snow is moving in the parking lots. Coffee team, our first impressions team, our sound team, our video team, our setup teams, our kids team, our youth team. They're all important. They all make a difference on a weekly basis. And there's something about being connected with a group of people with the same purpose. I get to go upstairs. I get to meet with the people who are going to be meeting with our, our, our wildlife beforehand or the soul kids. And I meet with the teachers and I see the team spirit building or I go up into the video area and you see the team happening or with the band and the singers. There's team. And it's so important that set up people relying on one another. There's something about being in a team. There's something about us being needed. There's something about us having other relationships around us. And finally, your relationship with God. You know, this is where it begins. 
I started this series with this, and I'm ending it with it. It's, it, it, it. Church is not about religion. It's not about us following rules. It's not about us not having fun. God designed us for a relationship with him and each other. That's what it's about. And the Bible is full of practical advice uh, and, and principles regarding this. Number two, ex, uh, exercise. I was just waiting to see if you guys saw it. Because that's going to be some of you after a while, right? Did, did he put a swear on the screen? No, I did not. Oh, gosh. I'm on a diet. I've lost over 25 pounds. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, what would Jenny do? WWJD. That's my lifeline. That's my motto. You know, who thought that you would come to church today and somebody's going to tell you, you need to work out. You do. When the stress is heavy, people, you need to uh, engage. If your body is not engaged, you will be more stressed out. And you need to avoid overindulging. That is my weakness. I am a late night snacker. I have gone down to portion control. It is killing me. I am hangry all the time. We complained last night that we are trying to watch a movie and we are hungry. It doesn't matter how much water or tea you drink, you're hungry. You know what? I, I realize I, I don't have a whole lot of self-control. I put stuff in my mouth all the time. But I need to exercise. You know? Uh, need to exercise. Avoid overindulging. They work hand in hand or hand in mouth, however you want to do it. Set small goals for the holiday season. You remember a long time ago in, in the conference I preached uh, God in the Movies and, and Baby Steps. And I can't remember. What was the name of the movie with uh, Patch Adams? That's what it was. And he talked about having baby steps. Set some goals over the holiday season. Are you going to walk around the block? That's a goal. Are you planning just not to blow up on somebody? Is that a goal? Set some realistic goals this holiday season. And uh, things that you can get done. Because really during this time, things can overwhelm us completely. And so from your work to your relationship, try to find some small goals that you want to set. Four, meditate on God's word. When things get busy in our life, the first thing to go is our time with God. There's a small goal for you. I need to just set some time on reading God's word. I need to take some time in the scriptures. And, of course, if you're really struggling on everything, get professional help. It's never too late to address that. And, and, and many times we recognize that this is a place where we, sometimes we just don't talk about it. If you or others around you notice that you're not coping well, if you're not coping well during this time, get professional help. There are crisis lines. Uh, you know, you can call us. We will do our best. It's okay not to be okay. Don't put on a facade that everything is fine. It's okay to go to a counselor. It's okay to go to a therapist. It's okay to go to a psychologist. It's okay to go to a, uh, um, a, a psychiatrist. It's okay. Get help if you need it. So here's the question. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be this holiday season when all the stress piles up? Who do you want to be? I was thinking about the scriptures and where do we see the stress that we have in our lives during the holiday season? You know, how can I, how can I sort of bring it together? And sure enough, sure enough, Jesus is traveling through the land and he's invited into somebody's home. It's just like Christmas, but it's not, right? And we look, find it in Luke chapter 10. And it says, And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. They came to a village where a woman named Martha 
opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. <laughs> like this, Martha, Martha. <laughs> the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are, are needed or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we, what we do notice, obviously, from the story is that Jesus is traveling. He probably had a huge entourage with him. They're invited into Martha's home. Think about that. you got to create the story to get yourself into the picture. Now, there's a whole lot of parallels here to our Christmas celebrations. People are coming over. They're crashing the house. There's lots of preparations that need to be done. And as we read, we find Martha's sister, Mary, she's away from all the hustle and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so what we have is a story of two very contrastingly different people. Here we see Martha drawn away from or distracted, and we find Mary drawn towards something. And so during these crazy stressful times, you and I have, have two choices that we can make. We can either, and we can either be, we can be either person, sorry. We can be drawn away from, or we can be drawn to. Two different choices to make, to be drawn away from, or to be drawn to. And as believers, we're called to be a peaceful presence. Are you a peaceful presence when you go to Costco? Are you a peaceful presence on Route 90? Are you a peaceful presence in the pressure of your end at work? As believers, we are called to be peaceful people of peaceful presence. Not necessarily anxious presence or a stressed out presence or an exhausted or overwhelmed or frenzied or apathetic or ignored or I can't stand the holidays person. As believers, if you identify with that today, we are called to be a peaceful presence. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Can I suggest to you that we can do it in two simple ways today? Two simple ways. And the first way to be a peaceful presence is to be selfless. Can you be selfless this season? Martha always gets the bad rap in this story. Every time I hear it taught, she's always the one. Yet when I look at it, she has the gift of hospitality. She opens herself up to Jesus. She opens her home up to Jesus. Here's a famous rabbi. And, uh, and again, this is huge. She is full of hospitality. She's warm. She's inviting. These are qualities of selflessness. And she's opening her home up, not to just Jesus, but his whole entourage, to which some scholars say could have been upwards to 50 to 70 people could be in that entourage. You think about that dynamic. Uh, so you have his disciples, and he also have other tagalongs in this whole process. Now, we don't know exactly how many were there, but we do know by simple assumption it wasn't just Jesus. Now, Martha starts at a beautiful place. She wants to be selfish. She wants to be serving. She wants to be giving, but pretty soon her serving becomes about her. And it doesn't take long when under stress, things become about me, right? It all becomes about me. Let, you know, let me leave you with this sentence today. Don't think, of your, don't think less of yourself over this time, but rather think of yourself less. Okay? Don't think less 
of yourself over this time, but rather think of yourself less. You don't need to be self-deprecating when I'm talking about this. You don't need to put yourself down. You don't need to worry about your needs. That's not what I'm talking about. Martha, that wasn't Martha's issue. She was all she could think of. That was her issue. Notice what Martha says. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Lady, you just invited everybody into your house. But of course, don't you care? Tell her to help me. This sounds exactly like us. It better yet, better yet, when my kids are younger, like yesterday, <laughs> and you ask them to do something, you know what they would say? Dad, has left me to do the work myself. Tell them to help me. Right? Don't we hear that? Actually, it's all of us. That's exactly what we do. This is us. Just don't think less of yourself. Just think less of yourself less. Think, uh, yeah, sorry. Don't think less of yourself. Just think of yourself less. That's it. You know, Jesus came to earth to set aside so much for us and we become so obsessed with ourselves. What if, what if this season, when you leave here, you actually let people merge in front of you instead of speeding up? Right? What if you actually stood and opened the door for quite a while to a business to let as many people in as you possibly could and you just smiled at them? And what if you got into an elevator and you turned around and asked people, how's their day? I actually say, say hey, what song do you guys want to sing? And it, gets, it, breaks, it breaks it all there. I like to jump up and down on elevators, but my wife still reminds me of the time we put one off in a nursing home off its tracks and we had to get lifted out in an emergency way. So, <laughs> But it's fun. Jump up and down on elevators. Watch everybody's eyes pop right open. It's just great. What if? What if we chose, instead of making it about us, that we served and became selfless? And not just during the holidays. The hardest test, though, is when you get together with your family. What if you just served your family the next little while? No complaints. Not asking people to come and help you. You just did it. What if you actually just jumped into the kitchen and started helping out? Well, that's not my job. It doesn't have to be. What if? What if you actually sat on the floor and began to look after the kids and just play with the kids? Well, I hate kids. Yeah, but what if? What if you actually took the time to clean up all the mess without asking for help? What if you just served? Do you understand that those, those illustrations that I give, give you as you begin to think of them, actually peace comes upon you? It's not about me. So let's just do it. Don't think less of yourself. Just think about yourself less. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Don't be selfish. Oh, please, don't try to impress others. Be humble. 
Be humble this season. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of others. It's very plain. It's very simple. Sometimes we just need to be reminded to be humble. That's Paul's definition. Don't try to impress others. You can be a peaceful presence by choosing simply to be selfless. By making the simple choice of looking out for the interests of others. And honestly, that's hard for us because we live in a me-first culture. It's all about me. Think about that, you know, about prior to that very first Christmas with a different Mary, right? With Jesus' mom. She goes through this encounter with this angel. She has to deal, again, with the fact that she's going to be pregnant. And then the fallout, because her fiancé isn't the father. All the ridicule, all the cultural pressure, all the stress that's going to follow the announcement, hey, I'm pregnant. But look at her response to the angel. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. She has a posture of selflessness. She opens up her hands. She opens up her life. She says, I will be your servant. And if we take on that posture, not just this holiday season, but all the time, not only will we find a great relief from stress ourselves, but we will find peace filling our lives. We will become peaceful presence to people around us. Who doesn't want that? And another aspect that we need to take into consideration during this time of craziness is just being undivided. You know, during our time of stress and, and business, we, we become easily divided. We become pulled in so many different directions. Look back at the text and look at Martha's sister Mary. Mary, who we find sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary, who is there listening to what he's saying. Mary, who has sort of dropped everything. And it's interesting because we don't know the backdrop to, regarding the story. We don't know if Mary has already done all of her chores and her responsibilities. We know that Martha needed help. But we don't know if Mary did everything that she was to do and she just sat down. We don't know if she ducked out on her chores. We don't know that. But what we do know is that at that moment, Martha is in a tither about trying to get everything done. But Mary has chosen to stop, to sit at the feet of the rabbi, and to listen. And again, there's something cultural i got to point out here that really outstands that we don't take into account. Mary is obviously a woman sitting at the feet of a man that is not her husband. She's actually sitting in a place of honor, but it's not proper culturally for her to do that. And so she is breaking cultural norms by doing what she's doing. And it appears that Mary is putting herself in this position of being a disciple of Jesus. And we have to understand that when an individual chose to follow a rabbi and agreed to learn their teaching, that they also chose possibly that they were in this process of becoming a rabbi themselves. Mary's taking a huge risk here. Sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Not playing the traditional role. Not doing what culture would ask of her. She is completely focused on what's most important in that moment. And for her, it's to sit at the feet of Jesus and to take in his teaching. And here we have Jesus breaking all the cultural norms again. Why? Telling he, why? He's letting a woman sit at his feet to listen and to learn. And Mary is all in. And she's sitting and listening to Jesus. And do we have the capacity this holiday season to listen ourselves? 
Do we have the capacity this holiday season to take some time aside and to sit and listen to Jesus? How do you listen to the Lord in your life? How do you hear him speak to you in a world that is filled with noise and distraction and where the volume is always set up at 10? And because our go-to verse is Matthew, it says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out? It's not even Christmas yet. Jesus says, come to me, get away with me. I'll recover your life. I will re-energize you. And these words should be filling to our soul like water when we're thirsty. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Jesus can show us real rest. Do you want stress relief? Yeah, I do. Do you want peace for your life? Well, of course I do. Take time to be with Jesus. Just take some time. Take and set aside some time to be with Jesus. This is counterintuitive during a busy season. Why? Because we feel overwhelmed and we got to do so much. But we need to take some time and stop and just to be with Him. Find some space over the next week or two coming into Christmas. Find some space. Find some space to practice spiritual disciplines. Things like fasting. Yeah, but this is the time we eat. Yeah, fast. Right? Fasting. Prayer. Meditating on the scriptures. Silence. Serve someone. Be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. And when we do these disciplines, they place us at the feet of Jesus. They place us in an undivided posture. Soaking in the truth of who Jesus is. And I'll say this, that when we do these things, we can hear God's voice. You'll hear God. He'll speak to you through his word. But you know what's crazy in our culture is that God's voice is always competing with the voice of stress. God's voice will still us. Calm us. The psalmist says, be still and know. I'm God. The voice of stress hurts you, puts you in stress all the time. It always puts you in line. You ever notice Jesus was never in a hurry? Oh, today we read that Jesus jogged from Jerusalem down to, you know, he was never in a hurry. God's voice is reassuring when you read the scriptures. I love you. I'll never leave you. The voice of stress frightens us. Right? It makes us scared and compulsive. God's voice is comforting. You know, we see the word picture in Scripture of God wrapping his wings around us, which is a symbol of power, a symbol of authority, a symbol of comfort. His voice comforts us. Well, stress worries us. I'm worried, I'm worried. The voice of stress says you're never going to get it right. There's nothing you can do right. You're never going to get it done. you got more to do. Come on, let's go, let's go. There's not enough hours in the day. You're flawed in some way. You'll never get it done. God's voice calms you. And God's voice is a calming presence in our life. Take the time. When we're listening to the Lord, there's a calming presence in our hearts. The voice of stress, it, it obsesses us. 
There's so much obsession in our culture, whether it's on social media about something political or, or just things going on in everyday life. There's this obsessiveness in our culture that is not the voice of God. If you want to become a peaceful presence then you, where you can spend time in the peace-filled presence of Jesus and God's voice calms us, Jesus came as that peaceful presence in our lives and when we choose to be with him, we find ourselves to be filled with peace and overflowing in that presence. Don't you want that this time of year especially? And if we go back to our story and Jesus looks at Martha, who's in this tither? And he says, Martha, Martha. I don't know why he does it twice, but he's obviously getting her attention because she probably didn't hear him the first time. Few things are needed or indeed only one. And what he's saying is that there are these competing voices. There's God's voice and the stress that, and the voice of stress. And you know what? Scripture tells us that we can only serve one master. There's really only one thing that we can make Lord of our life. So it wasn't the fact that Martha was working or that she was preparing or trying to serve because that was her intention. It was who she was making God or number one at that moment. No one can serve two masters. We looked at this when we talked about finances. Either you hate one or love the other, or you'd be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and, and money. And I think this is a great principle in life. You can't serve two masters. What are the voices that are pulling at you? What are the gods that you are turning over your life to and allowing to cause you stress? Think about that. What are the voices of stress that you're listening to? Because we all have them. And God tells us exactly what to do with them. Again, the psalmist writes, cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. Cast your cares, cast your worries, cast your anxieties, all the things that are causing stress. You got to take the time. You got to be quiet. You got to turn off the volume. You got to cast. You got to pray. You got to talk. And the good news is that the source of our very life is found in Jesus, and when we cast our cares on him, he will sustain us. So how do you do that? Listen, people, stop. Just take some time. Stop. It's like lifting a needle off the record, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. The others, it's like stopping your iPod. But anyway, it's, you're, you're there at times. You're in the moment, but you need to stop. Pause. Freeze frame. We don't do that well. But we need to. You need to stop. So wherever you are, and where, whatever is going on, and you're feeling it, just stop. Stop. The pressure is going on around you. Stop. The second thing you want to do is breathe. I kid you not. Everybody do that. Come on, with me. Ah. Hopefully you have a mint on that exhale. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Sounds really stupid, but, you know, when your body is stressed, there's actually something uh, physiologically going on in our bodies. Our, our breathing is irregular. It's not normal. We actually, in some cases, stop breathing. We don't know it because we're moving and moving. But the next time you feel stress, stop and take a breath. You're breathing short. You're breathing rapid. You're not getting enough oxygen to, to your brain to make good decisions. I kid you not. You know in the movies where they're jumbling with their cars, their keys, and they can't get the, the monsters coming at them, and they've got to open the door. 
That's an actual reality because when we are stressed, we're not taking in the oxygen we need to make clear decisions. So stop. Breathe. Get enough oxygen to your brain to make good decisions. And then you need to reflect at that moment. Take a moment to remember what is true. Try to figure out what's going on around you. Get your wits together, we say. We need to be reminded that God is God and that I am not God. We need to be reminded that he will take care of us. We need to be reminded that he has everything under control. So take a moment and sit at the feet of Jesus this holiday season and stop. And breathe. And take a moment and pray. Just pray. Speak to God. You know, we need to be reminded that prayer is a two-way conversation. We speak to God. You know, we pray, we say our list, but also listen back. Ask God, what can you teach me in this moment? What can you remind me of? Stop. Breathe. Pray. And enjoy the holidays. Jesus, or Christmas is all about Jesus coming in the midst of a chaos of a broken Roman system, a society that's falling apart and crumbling all around, and Jesus is coming into the world as a peaceful presence in the world. And so what if this Christmas season you were a peaceful presence in the midst of your dysfunctional family? What if you were a peaceful presence in the midst of your school? A school's over. Yeah, I know, it carries on after this, buddy. Welcome to the new year. It is. What about work? Are you a peaceful presence at work? What would happen in your own heart, in your community, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, if you chose now, today, starting, to be a peaceful presence? As your pastor, and maybe for some of you I'm not your pastor, but let me just say this, choose Jesus this season and be a peaceful presence to everybody around you. Exhale, people. Take time to rest in God's peace. And your house may not smell like fresh fresh baked goods. It may not sparkle like Clark's. But seeing Jesus and his peace this holiday season will ensure that you have the best Christmas ever. And it's easy to see how Christmas, a, a holiday meant to celebrate the the greatest news in the history of man become the most busy, the most stressful, and the most unenjoyable time of the year. Maybe you're sitting here and going, Jerry, I, I don't even know if I can do this. Or maybe I triggered your, your thoughts about faith, about God, about Jesus. Maybe you just feel you, you just can't even forgive yourself and you're just dreading these next upcoming days. It's, let me just encourage you all. It's a time for a spiritual reset. Jesus can take the worst of our world and he can make the best of it. And that's the essence of the Christmas story of Jesus' birth. You, you can trust someone who can do that. You can trust your soul 
with someone, you can do that. You can trust Jesus' heart. Every Sunday I say, take out your phone, everybody, so nobody feels alone. It's not about you. Everybody has your phone. You can open it up, put your number in, and uh, open up your text. I'm going to pray in a few moments. And if what I've said today at all has spoken to you, I invite you to text this number, 226-7254, in the subject line. Just put soul. And we want to be able to give you a safe place that we can respond. And we will contact you personally. We want to pray with you. We want to answer your questions. We're not going to creepy stalk you. But we're simply saying we care about your spiritual well-being. We want to help guide you in your journey that we call life. I'll guarantee you that somebody will respond to you within 24 hours personally. Because we care. We just want to make it easy for people. We're waiting for God to come, aren't we? That's what Advent is all about. God to come and to bring hope and peace and joy and love. And sometimes we forget. We forget God has already come. He's already broken to his world. He's already shined this great light. He's already sent us the Holy Spirit in order that we may be the body of Christ in this world. That we don't just wait for peace and not even just make peace or work for it, but that we may be the peace of Christ in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in our nation. So bow with me, will you? And as I pray, if you want us to follow up today, just text soul to the number on the screen. Take some time to pray about things that cause you stress during this holiday season right now. What comes to your mind? Lift up to God the areas that you struggle to be selfless and undivided in the next few days and weeks. Let's just ask him to reveal places where you can serve, to guard your heart, to guard your mind, and to give you a greater joy during our Christmas time. God of love, Father of all, the darkness that covered the earth has given way to the bright dawn of your word made flesh. Make us a people of this light. Make us faithful to your word that we may bring your life to the waiting world. And grant this through our strength in Christ our Lord. God, we look to you this morning. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see things the way you do so that we wouldn't be overwhelmed and full of stress and anxiety, but rather we would be a peaceful presence. God, with my hands open up to heaven, give us peace this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us peace for our family. Give us peace for our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. God, our world is so pent up with anxiety and stress, and yet we're called to live in this world and bring your peace this Christmas season. To which I say thank you for sending your son to earth as a baby, fully human and fully divine, and that through him we might know your peace. Amen. Stand with me, please. Inhale. I didn't say exhale yet. Exhale. 
before you leave after the blessing. I know sarcasm is my hug. But uh, greet somebody. For some of you, maybe with a holy kiss, that's totally cool. It's scriptural. Go ahead and make it happen. But greet somebody. Release the stress. There's something about relational ties. There's something about being in a community together. There's something about practicing the presence of being people of peace. Can you do that? What not a best place to start by practicing on your own spiritual family. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. Oh, soul sanctuary. May you be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the magi, and the peace of the Christ child. We go in peace, we go in hope, we go in joy, we go in love to serve the Lord and to serve this world he's placed us in. Now go and live the church. And if I don't see you on Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Hug somebody. <laughs>